0: episode of Slaterpot, Slaterpot 21. Today's special episode because Esther's computer has decided to go into partial lockdown. So for anybody watching this on YouTube, uh, you're seeing a blank dark uh, space where Esther would be. But anyway, hi Esther.
1: <laughs> Hello. Yes, I'm here uh, on audio at least, hopefully
0: yeah so you know no no change in experience for anybody listening in on the podcast, but uh, for anybody watching it on YouTube, slightly different, but we are plowing on. Of course, very happy that this uh, didn't happen yesterday when we had our very first inaugural webinar. Um, we ran a webinar for anybody who bought our 2020 market report and for our research subscribers. Uh, big success, I think we had like a ninety percent uptake rate, so there were there were a lot of people there it was uh it was very good and the system held up you know we had to decide which way to go we, of course there's like seven different systems now, but we had to, we'd go to webinar uh, maybe we're going to do a zoom trial at some point, but you know we did have at um, the localization manager of go to uh, meeting at our uh, Amsterdam conference, so you know we gave that system a shot. It worked. It worked well. Uh, what was your um, take on that yesterday, Esther?
1: Yeah, really good. Um, I mean, more attendees than I was expecting, um, so that's a positive thing. Um, but some really interesting um, insights as well from from Barnaby and also Bruno. Um, so yeah, no, in- enjoyable um, and definitely something I think we should uh, and will do again.
0: Yeah, indeed. It's just <laughs> it's it's always like you you got to find a quiet uh place to run these things and uh for me that's a bit of a challenge these days cuz they're yeah. building as I, I probably mentioned in previous podcasts here at home and at the office and so I'm like uh, literally I'm working out of like five different rooms at the moment <laughs> uh, constantly evading the noise. Actually before we started this podcast I had to go upstairs and tell the builders to stop building for like 45 minutes to <laughs> so run this. Uh, yeah, no, you said it. Uh, so it was uh, it was a, a short one hour webinar. We had uh, you know we did a, a segment about the report, and then we had uh, Barnaby Wass from uh, TransPerfect, senior vice president. We have Bruno Bitter, CEO of MemoQ. Uh, cool interview. Andrew interviewed Barnaby on you know what's going on in the industry, and then Bruno gave a presentation as well. Uh, Barnaby is very impressive, actually. I mean, he started, I didn't know, he, he was a translator. He originally mm. started as a translator or is a trained translator and then started as a, a PM, a project manager for TransPerfect, like probably 19 or 20 years ago. You know, now is a senior vice president uh, at a $750 million company. So, you know, that shows you also that there's uh, quite a lot of career options for people in this industry, you know, rising from a translator to an SVP at such a large company is, is, is quite impressive and he did confirm some of the takes we had on our verticals you know like uh you know media production interruptions and retail of course down but also some other uh some other areas doing quite well still so uh, it was it was interesting to hear his uh, his assessment we we actually recorded the webinar and uploaded it uh for anybody who you know uh for, again for the subscribers and and the buyers of the report they can access it with a password so Uh, That said, uh, let's move to a a slightly less positive note. We had to cancel SlaterCon London. Mm. I mean, that that was kind of, uh, well, I guess some people saw this coming, but uh, it was in in early, we rescheduled, of course, from May to September. And, you know, I, I don't think right now it's feasible to, you know, to plan anything in 2020. Uh, the situation is just so fluid. I mean, how are things in London? Because that's where we would have would have yeah. uh, you know would have hosted that. I think you last time you mentioned it there was there was they didn't gave an update on Sunday. So how are yeah. things now with with the lockdown?
1: It's pretty much the same. I have to say. Um, I mean, technically we're allowed out of lockdown for um, I think as much exercise as we'd like. Um, plus, I think you're now allowed to actually sit down in a park <laughs> um, and. I think, see one other person outside of your household. Not that this is a public service announcement or anything, and I might be wrong, but um, <laughs> yeah, so you're allowed to see one other person outside your household, but but still respecting the social distancing. So it, it's kind of inconceivable that we'd be able to be sort of 100, 120 people in a room, <laughs> you know, even, even if September is still sort of like four or five months away or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and you know... Since Slatercon is very, very international, right? I mean, there's probably one third of the people would be from the London area, but then there's so many people flying in. And Mm -hmm. right now, you're, you know, obviously... We'd have to do like a
1: two-week quarantine to make it into Slatercon.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that would show commitment. That would show commitment (laughs) to the cause. (laughs) Yeah, that's a bit of a big ask. So anyway, cancelled. But uh, we'll be doing uh, our very first uh, remote conference. And we called it, originally so, Slatercon Remote. Uh, we had a bit of a back and forth, but there's all kinds of other options. But I think SlaterCon Remote for now is a great working title, and so we're going to do that on July 9th. Uh, we have a few speakers confirmed already. You know, we're working out on the format, probably three to four hours. I'm not sure if uh, anybody wants to stick around for an eight or nine-hour online conference, but uh, you know, let's see how that goes. Um, all right, today we're going to talk about just a few uh, stories we had. Um, so, for uh, basically three of these stories are related to people getting money. I mean, I know mm. it's tough times, but uh, three companies managed to raise money uh, or are raising money. The first one is Plint, the Swedish uh, Media Localized. The second one is Lilt. And the third one we just read this morning is Keywords, that, that's also raising money. Uh, and then there was a super interesting feature around the Presbyterian Church um, and uh, how they are, went from like a single translator to uh, a full blown localization team. We, we uh, Marion wrote about that yesterday. So, um, you know, talking about lockdowns and exceptions, uh, Sweden has always been an exception in um, in, in this in, in entire pandemic, right? They didn't lock down, I mean, mm-hmm. they didn't do a national lockdown. As far as I know, they, they still allowed events up to 50 people. And I think they didn't close restaurants, schools or anything like that. And interestingly, they're now also an exception in terms of uh, funding, deal deal flow, right? We, we do talk a lot about M&A in this industry, or at least have up until COVID came around. Yeah. And now, surprisingly, uh, that Swedish private equity firm called Privek decided to take a 55% stake in Plint, a media localizer. They had a, they were called Nordisk uh, undertext before and now they're, they rebranded into Plint. Um, and I think it's remarkable that in a time where it's so, I mean, there's so much uncertainty right now that you actually managed to close a deal. Right. And that yeah. we spoke to um, both Plain CEO, Arjan Serner and the um, uh, the person from the private equity firm, yeah, Louise, Louise Nielsen. Yeah, yeah Louise. And, uh, you know, basically it seemed like the, the pandemic didn't really interrupt the process. I mean, also, of course, this is because the key client of Plint is Netflix. So, I mean, it's probably one of the the major winners of this and uh, and I'm sure that helped. But uh, I think it's still remarkable that somebody would actually go through with a deal. So another kind of Swedish exception here. Um, So the remaining, so again, that Swedish firm, uh, the private equity firm took a a bit more than half, 55% stake. Uh, they the remaining uh, shares are owned by the CEO Orion Cerner, as well as Peer Naukler, and studio manager Johan Glad. Um so they have a they you know have a fair amount of skin in the game left. And they said when they kicked off, they got a lot of interest from the process that was pre covid that must have been some you know probably late last year. Um, they said it was a lot of interest from both financial and strategic investors. But they wanted to stay independent uh, and so they brought on, or independent, like they want to continue to have the Plint brand. And so uh, they felt the financial investor was the best choice. It's quite an active private equity firm. So they've been in the business for 35 years. They've owned a total of, invested a total of 128 companies and have exited 110 to date, including like 27 uh, IPOs. um, And typically they hold an investment for about five years. Uh, that's what uh, Louise Nielsen said, their their CEO, and so that's quite uh, quite average. I mean, it's not very short, it's not very long. So, you know, let's see how long they're going to be holding Plint for. But we looked at the revenues. So can you just remind us their, about their trajectory? I think they grew super quick over the past five years, right?
1: Yeah, I think 2015 was, was when they really st- kind Of exploded, I suppose, or started to kick off, and that was when they also signed with, with Netflix. Um, so have sort yeah. of followed that through. Um, so 2015, they were around 11 um, million. Um, this is Swedish this crowns, is, yeah. This right? is the Swedish crowns, yeah. Um, and then so kind of,
0: sorry, just to that, yeah. let's just make sure we get the forex right here. So that's 11 million right now, would be like 1.1 One. 1. 1 million yeah. US dollars. So yeah. basically, it's you know. Small agency. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, in 2019, they were up to 21 million US dollars. Wow. So that's a significant growth over the four years in between. Um, And they've kind of, so they doubled, I think, 2015 to 2016, doubled again, 2016, 2017, and then almost tripled, I think. Um, So, yeah, really, really strong growth trajectory on the revenue um, and also some progress on EBITDA as well.
0: Yeah. So that's, yeah, because they closed Netflix in 2015 when the whole, uh, probably, the, you know, they, they really started with their major push. And I think they started as like a QA supplier. So they QA'd other LSPs work and then moved into more of a core supplier role, like preferred suppliers. I think what Netflix calls them. Mm. Uh, Plint, so Plint does a lot of subtitling, I think mostly subtitling. I mean, the, Urian told us that they have, you know, or Peer told us that they're, they've been dipping their toes, quote unquote, in dubbing, um, but mostly it's been subtitling and, and now they're looking at expanding into dubbing probably with, uh, with some of those funds. And also Louise, the, the, the private equity CEO, uh, when we asked, well, what's the plan for the funds, she, sh- she said likely it's mostly for organic growth. Um, which is very interesting because it's yeah. different from this typical financing model in the industry where you you, know, you, you you buy a so-called platform company and then you bolt on like additional companies with, with, uh, through acquisitions. So this is nice for a change. Seems that those investors have kind of a, a bit of a vision on the product and the service and the company um, kind of building it up organically. Uh, and obviously, media is probably a good space to, to, to try to do that. So, yeah, so that's Plint. Uh, he also told me, I mean, I, I keep asking these people, like, how much did you pay for the domain name? Plint.com oh, yeah. <laughs> is a fantastic domain. Uh, hang on, is it? Uh, well, it's a five letter dot com domain, with, yeah. which is you know, super easy to remember. And it, it, it's only a $1,000. So that's a, a steal. That domain is. It's got worth a I got it. I think
1: they, they actually bought, they bought the domain several years before they actually rebranded to Plint, I believe.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, though, I mean, still, yeah. Slater was also uh, was also a thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, at the time, uh, so that That's was a steal, too. It's a six letter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's also it's not a real world uh, word like like <laughs> Plin. Um But but still, it's uh, it's great to have these domains. Right. People can remember it. So next up is Lilt, which uh, I love Lilt's technology at the time I was able to use it. Um, you know, again, also I'm a I'm a former translator, so I played around with Lilt when they launched, like in 2016. I think I first used the product, 2017. Um, so they went through a few iterations. They started out as like a pure SaaS, um, well, translation productivity cat tool based on a SaaS model. Like you, you know, you sell individual subscriptions pivoted to selling the tech to LSPs, but then eventually now they're like a, a, a tech enabled LSP and, and so I can't really test the product anymore. Probably should get in touch and see because the product is, uh, is it was very novel at the time it came out and I don't think anybody kind of, has kind of really replicated it today like the exact way because it's, you know, it's the interactive part. So you're, as a translator, you're typing and the MT basically adjusts or adapts as you're typing. And that's, uh, I think it's, you know, in my humble opinion, that's the way you should actually in- interact with translation. But again, that's coming from somebody who's not translating anymore, but I just, I like the product. So uh, they announced uh, two days ago that they raised Series Speed $25 million. Uh, but that said that they raised that uh, before the pandemic hit. So they, for some reason, held off on the announcement. I mean, they told us it was because of the pandemic. But, um, you know, they still now decided to, well, so they decided to hold off the announcement of the raise because of the pandemic. But, you know, I still don't even understand why he would hold off on that. Now, anyway, now they announced. And it's a pretty big round. It's not the 60 million unbobble round, but it's 25 million that carries you quite some way. And, uh, we did a quick uh, email interview with CEO Spence Green. You know, Spence used to work for Google Translate um, nine or ten years ago, and then started the company in 2015. And so, um, yeah, now he's the CEO, and they they raised from some really big names. Like uh, this time, the the lead fund was Intel Capital, I think, but they also had some other big names, uh, Sequoia Capital, that was the lead in Series A again, invested in this round, and then. Redpoint Ventures, which we had, uh, you know, Tom Tungush uh, was at our uh, Slitikon San Francisco conference. So, so you know, successful raise and of course, just in time for the pandemic, because if you, you know, if you're going into, if you've gone as a startup, if you've gone into this um, this uh, pandemic with, uh, you know, kind of a low cash and you were hoping to raise in maybe the first half of 2020, uh, you might be in trouble. And we spoke about that before. So at least, Lil's going into this with uh, a full, a full, uh, well, you no, know, with with a solid balance, solid cash balance. Let me put it this way. Mm-hmm. So, uh, they also, you know, they, in their pivot, they they uh, to to more of a service provider, of course, with strong underlying tech. They they hired Paula Shannon, who who was the former chief sales officer of Lionbridge and probably one of the best connected names in the industry. And uh, I think this was an incredibly smart move uh, because it also understands that Lilt uh, shows that Lilt really understands the, the enterprise sales cycle in this industry, which, you know, you can only, technology can get you so far, but yet at the end of the day, if you want to scale into the bigger enterprises, you really need to also have a sales force on the ground. You need to have offices. Uh, um, and 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 climb people on the ground, and that's what that's what Spence uh, said as well. That they're investing some of that into actually setting up, uh, you know, on site on in in country and really expanding kind of the, the the footprint. So it's a more traditional model. Like I mean, TransPerfect, for example, is probably like sixty office locations now. Actually, that was that's what Barnaby told us yesterday. They just opened in Turkey, right? So they understand if you want to do business in a country, you need to have a, a presence there. So it looks like Wilt's following that, and you know, Paulus. Uh, enterprise background, enterprise experience, sales experience is, is going to be super helpful there. Uh, just finally, briefly about Lil. Uh, we also asked Spence around his kind of top three uh, machine translation trends because, you know, he's a computer scientist, used to work for Google Translate and now has built this, uh, this MT-based company. And he said, first is what he called the exceptional improvement in personalized MT models. So, you know, you, basically as a translator, you're, you're using a system and then it's adjusting to you, it's adapting to you. The second one, he said, the ability to add more contextual information in translation suggestions, and we've covered this uh, quite a lot last year um, with some research where, you know, they're taking or the systems are taking document level information to mm. improve. Uh, the MT, because otherwise it just goes sentence a sentence, and you, you kind of have to. The system is really dumb in terms of not understanding what the contents of the con- the context of the document is around is about. And then the third one is a bit more arcane. It's like more efficient automatic tag placement. So what what, what it really shows though is that. the. That uh, Spence is really taking this from the practitioner view, right? An actual implementation view. So, th- those are all very uh, practical improvements to the day to day work of a translator, uh, as opposed to the more blue sky research that we're sometimes seeing on these uh, preprint servers that we uh, cover from time to time. All right, so that's that. Um, that's Lil, that's Plint. Uh, Little this four letter, four letter domain, little.com, Plant is five letter domain. So, okay, both of these companies have great domains. Um, yeah. Let's move on to a totally different topic or totally different, uh, I don't know, <laughs> category it would be the Presbyterian Church. Yeah. Uh, what was that story about?
1: Uh, yeah, Presbyterian Church. This is the, the feature that Marion um, wrote and published yesterday. Uh, so an interview with their global language resources manager, um, Jason Raff, who um, told us a bit about their localization operations. Uh, so just for context, this is the Presbyterian Church in uh, the USA. They have 100, uh, sorry, 1. 1.7 million members, 10,000 congregations in the US, uh, so pretty big um, and obviously uh, multi sort of lingual congregations as well. Um, They set up an office of language resources in 2018. And so the idea here was really to improve language access for the congregations. Um, And they have really the the main demand is for Spanish and for Korean. So they have a big focus on these two languages. And they currently have five people in in the localization team, including um, Jason, um, plus two Spanish translators and two um, Korean translators. But they, they want to ramp up as well and add um, potentially a, a project coordinator in, in 2021. Um, in Kentucky, I think they're based. Um, so in terms of the, the volumes, um, it's it pretty sizable. I mean, they they told us that they did 1.5 million words in Q1 2020 alone. Okay. So that's sort of, you know, somewhere around 6 million, I guess, annually. Um, and they've got a range of content, they have their own actual news service, so sort of a, a newsletter that's, that's distributed um, to members. Um, plus they have sort of things relating to the actual workings of the church, constitutional staff, some legal staff um, and finance content also. Um, so interesting kind of content and a, a lot of that is is performed internally because they do have such specific terminology um, requirements. Um, Particularly, and it does help to have knowledge of of um, of the church. Uh, but they they are also using a pool of freelancers. They've said, and they would not be opposed to using LSPs for for some of the other language combinations. They do also have uh, occasional demand for East Asian, Southeast Asian, African languages, and Arabic. Um, they told us. Uh, so in terms of the actual the actual setup. Um, i mean this is this is kind of i guess starting to become a bit more centralized as they've gone from like you said florian having one one spanish translator to now sort of well way more than that um and then mm. they're sort of centralizing and, and maturing as well in their localization approach so they've adopted smartling as their tms um and they they're you know pursuing sort of other um, more developed um, localization strategies as well they're not currently using machine translation but they said they are exploring um, post-editing of machine translation for uh, the new service Um, and one thing i think was pretty interesting was they that um, jason told us that he was inspired by the approach of asics um, which if you remember Ah, we had um, their their localization director alessandra binazzi um, do a feature on Slater as well about about their localization at Asics. Um, and Jason said that the Presbyterian Church is looking at doing a similar approach um, with centralized tools, with the idea being to empower kind of local stakeholders as well to to take um, some ownership of of the processes as well. Um, and then one one other thing that I'll just share um, was around um, simultaneous in- interpreting, very relevant in the current climate. So they they work. Well, they are and were scheduled to have a a massive conference in June of 2020. And that's uh, been moved online now um, for obvious reasons. So the the plan now is to conduct the conference online using Zoom and using the new interpreting feature in Zoom to um, to
0: provide interpreting services. Really, Zoom has an interpreting feature.
1: They, now? Yeah, yeah. So I just read that in, in in the article that apparently Zoom has a new interpreting feature. So I, I don't know too much about it myself, but I think we'll have to um, do some do some digging around that.
0: Let's do some digging. Yeah. Yes. Um. Yeah, I must have missed this when I read the article, but yeah, uh, that's that's interesting mm. um, because I mean Zoom is what everybody's talking about right now, and if they have an interpreting feature, we should really look at it and how it works. Yes. So that's, that's that for the Presbyterian Church. It
1: was a short, a short break from the financial, uh, financial raises.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, it's crazy. It's a crisis and every, and these people are getting money while everybody else is uh, trying to hold on to their cash. Right. So that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's interesting. Yeah. And I, I like that this is, a, is a, it's kind of an, an interesting point in time we've got in touch with Jason, right? I mean, he's very new, as you mentioned. And I mean, going from a single Spanish translator to now, I think they have about five FTS in the in the yeah. localization team is it's quite unusual, a for this particular time now in twenty twenty, but also just generally like that that you know it's it's an interesting early point in in kind of the localization maturity curve. And then also I really appreciated the, the openness, like with you know, that they're telling us the volume. They're telling us that they looked at a couple of TMSs and decided to go right. with Smartling. And yeah. I mean, this is it's it's, it's very interesting and very um, uh, yeah, it's very generous that that they're sharing this type of information on the record, right? With yeah, a, for sure. With a, a news channel, so I, I appreciate that. All right, so for anybody who, who's not interested in finance, you might want to drop off now. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Uh, so let's move over to uh, just briefly keywords. Um, again, listed, uh, how much did it do in, in localization? 25, 30% of the revenue or? Yeah, around, around
1: 30, 33, about around, a third. About a third yeah. we worked out when, when you actually include the audio services, which is where the dubbing is housed. Yes. So somewhere there between so 25, one 30, one so, third,
0: yeah. Yeah, big company, 130 lock. And uh, today they announced they're going to place hundred million pounds. So that's like roughly 120 million U.S. in shares. Uh, So they're listed on the stock market and they're raising via a share placement. And usually that drives down, of course, your share price because, well, there's going to be more shares around. Uh, Looks like this didn't really happen that much. I mean, I checked this morning, it was only down like 4%. Uh, But why would uh, keywords do that? Well. Um, it's uh, it's for buying more companies they they must have acquired about 40 plus companies since they they went IPO uh, you know six or whatever years ago and, and now in, in their in their prospectus they're citing that they see um, they're expecting quote unquote to see some stress in predominantly small service provider you know which are typically single location service with fewer clients and less able to weather the disruption. they quote a survey, of 300 professionals from game developers, game publishers, and service providers conducted in late March, where 29% said uh, they fear a risk of insolvency if Corona was going to continue for more than six months. And so they're saying that this is likely to result in an increased number of acquisition opportunities for keyword studios, with some targets now more inclined to re-engage previously stale exploratory conversations. Well, that's a smart move. I mean, get the cash and then try to uh, do acquisitions at a better price. And it's, uh, I guess, a more standard approach than the one we discussed last time with the big words email that I've now found out literally everybody in this industry (laughs) has gotten, and I have yet to find somebody who thought it was a smart idea, so. yeah, so the, the keyword approach in terms uh, is, is it was more normal, you you raise the cash and then you know you do one-on-one conversations with people that you think would be interesting to bring on board. All right, so that was it for today's SlaterPod. Stay tuned for uh, what's going to be a lot of good stories also again next week and uh, stay safe wherever you are. Thanks a lot for this, Esther. Thank you. See you next week. All right. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. We'll